Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, actually, we're two guys tonight. Matt's not here. Yeah, what are we going to do? It's uh, Wood Talk number 136 for June 12th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about wiping varnish, building something with... uh, Why did I type it that way? Building with something other than three-quarter inch stock and restoring some old Stanley planes. But before we get to all that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is supported by ArborTech, makers of creative wood shaping tools. They're turning 25 this year, and to celebrate, they're holding a woodworking competition. The competition is simple and fun. Show yourself using an ArborTech tool to make a project. The prize package is $1,000 worth of ArborTech tools. For more information, check out their blog at blog.arbortechusa.com. And by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. Hey, that's cool. Congratulations to ArborTech. On? Oh, they're 20... (laughs) Their, their birthday. <laughs> Maybe I should actually listen to these things. You should actually listen to <laughs> like, that. Like, why? What do they do? Um, I, th- I think that's a cool campaign. Good way to get pictures of people using your tools. I like it. It is. It is. I did get some complaints, though. Some people are like, well, I'm trying to win the tools. How can I use them if I don't have them yet? <laughs> catch 22. A little bit of a See, catch 22 there. That's called marketing. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good marketing. What do you, you think? Gotta, you got to play to win. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Matt? Yeah. Uh, so, as you can tell, Matt's actually not here today. He's on a little family vacation. Good for him. And uh, he even said that he would call in from his car. And we're like, dude, just take a week off. You know, there's two two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, right. I would hope, right? <laughs> Seriously. And it's almost it's almost like he never even left, right? Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Good oh, to hear man. from you, Matt. <laughs> all right. So, we're going to jump right into what's on the bench. Uh, Shannon, why don't you go first? Um, I'm in that nice little quiet lull before all you know what breaks loose. Mm. <laughs> um, I've got a, a handful school semester launching Monday, okay. uh, a little less than a week. So for actually, uh, knock on wood, the first time ever, I think I'm like caught up <laughs> nice. and not going into this like seven videos behind right, or. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm usually a couple ahead, but you know that a couple of videos, that time runs out so fast. It does. You know, so I'm actually, I've got the entire first build is done and filmed. It's not all edited yet, but right. Um, so I actually just decided I'm going to take a couple of days and do absolutely nothing in the shop. <laughs> you know, I did a little bit of sharpening, tidied some things up, just kind of catching my breath before the next six months kicks off and mm-hmm. I'll be just crazy nuts. So it's nice. Very nice. Yeah, I'm I'm in a similar situation very soon. I think I'm going to take a maybe a week. I mean, I have not taken a day off, like a real good day off in a long time. Um, and that's what I'm thinking between builds. If I can get a week and just say, look, I'm just taking a little summer vacation. And I think, I don't know, you're, we're probably a lot alike in this regard. We're sort of our own worst enemies where sometimes huh. when you have your own time and, and we do a lot of this woodworking stuff, uh, you know, I do it for a living. You do it as a side business. Um, you would think you wouldn't want to go in the shop. But a lot of times I find myself drawn to the shop to do the things that I don't normally have time to do, you know, that I find right. fun that, you know, things that maybe improve the workspace, make it a little bit more comfortable for myself. Um, and I still wind up going in the shop anyway. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I got, I think it was the end of 
<clears throat> semester three or something, I actually planned in a, a, a break mm-hmm. thinking, you know, I, I could use the time to catch my breath. And I used every last second of that for other things. Right. Like in between stuff, you know, the 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 business side of things. You've got site updates to do and oh, sure. marketing things here and there. And yeah, never ends. You know, get caught up, throw in some supplemental videos. And, and the exact same thing happened here. I gave myself almost two months right. in between semesters and I've been working pretty much nonstop. It's crazy. So. And, and I mean, we're talking about video production and, and podcasting and things like that, but I'm sure this applies to anybody out there, you know, pros that might be listening who, oh, yeah. who really just have a passion for the craft and you're doing it for pay. You're doing it, you know, nine to five or pro- most likely longer hours than that, but you still have this, this need or, or itch to spend your, your personal time in there as well, which is, I guess, yeah. kind of, uh, you know, it says something well, I mean, for, for what we're doing. That was actually one of them. I had a commission that I had to finish up that uh, um, thing I did in the church. So I, it was like, man, I got to get this thing done because if I don't do it now, it's liable to be six months before I get it done. Right. Yeah. Uh, got a little cool. ugly. So. Very nice. Anyway, what's up with you? Well, uh, speaking of projects, tilt top tables have been finished. Um, got both of them done. And it's, uh, whenever I do these projects, I tend to build multiples, but it always seems like the, the multiple concept sounds great at first. And then like a couple of weeks into it, I start really regretting committing to doing more than one version. Um, but this time I managed to keep them both going. It's a fairly small project, so it's not that difficult to, to keep uh, pace with, with both of them. Uh, but two tilt top tables are done. Well, technically only one of them tilts. Uh, I decided that I got a lot of enough feedback from people who don't like the concept of the tilt top. So I wanted to show them how easy it is to make a non tilt top, just a standard uh, attached top with a big cleat. And uh, that's the walnut version. And I was uh, pretty happy with the way they came out. Very nice. Yeah, I know that if I I like that idea, I mean, you obviously it was there for a reason because yeah. you could tilt it up and kind of move it out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, of course, that's why they made them so beautiful. You know, the inlay tops or the carving or whatever. But in today's world... I'd have to like move stuff off it yeah. <laughs> to tilt it. Right. Pretty yeah. much any any horizontal surface is going to have something on it. Yeah, exactly. Well, we were talking, Nicole and I were talking about the practicality of it and whether or not we would actually use it. And she's like, well, it's kind of like, you know, the the predecessor to the folding tray table you know, that, that everyone has like in a back closet somewhere. Right. Only it doesn't fold completely flat. It still has a footprint. You know, so it's not uh, awesome. it's not ideal for that, but um, it is definitely a delve into the past. And and I went on a because I did get some feedback, some you know fairly negative feedback that like why are we bothering with with an old design? And it's like, look, why are we bothering with any of this? I, I mean, <laughs> if you're gonna go there, why are we bothering with any of this? And I went on a little bit of a, a rant at the, in the last video as I was encapsulating the whole project and summing it up because that's it's true it's like a lot of this stuff is antiquated i've said this before we don't need wooden furniture in, in uh you know today's marketplace um our society does not need material like like wood to make furniture yet we do it it's something that's intrinsic to to who we are as as uh you know human beings it's a part of our culture our history and we continue to want to do it to work with natural materials to make beautiful uh, things, including furniture. So, you know, to say that it's an antiquated do- design, yeah, of course it is. But a lot of the stuff that we do is antiquated, yet we continue to do it. So, see, that, that's interesting. I mean, it's funny because your um, your guild members definitely have a, a personality all their own. Um, as a guild member, I, I've seen it firsthand, mm-hmm. and I think I've, I've started to develop the same thing over at the Hand Tool School. There's certainly, I mean, we galoots are a bit of a different breed to begin with. Anyway, mm-hmm. sure, um, we're kind of nuts, but um, 
I don't, I see that particular design as timeless. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, especially the, the, the versions that you did that one with a really kind of sweepy leg where it just kind of continued the same curve. Right. Yeah. Um, to me, that's a very contemporary style. And every time I've shown, um, any, any pedestal style table to like a non woodworker, they're like, they love it. Yeah. They love the, oh, that's so cool. Go so great next to this chair or that chair. Or I could put the flowers on it in the window. To me, that's a very timeless design. It's a perfect occasional table, you know? Yeah. And the cool thing is one of them is going to my mom and the other is going to my mother-in-law. I don't, I, a table like that, as beautiful as it is, it's a little too delicate for a 19 month old kid running <laughs> around the house who is, you know, Hurricane Mateo comes through and just destroys everything. So I'd rather not see that break. Um, so, so those are going to the, to the moms and they both are, are going to love them. They're going to adore them. Yeah. And like you said, it is a, a design that makes a lot of sense. The tilt, not so much, but the, the pedestal style table uh, is definitely applicable to a lot of different decors. Right. Um, uh, aside from that, I have been having a lot of fun. Did a live session uh, just yesterday on the low angle jack plane and have been tuning it up. And well, by tuning it up, I mean just working with my, <laughs> my micro Pulling levels. it out of the box. Yeah, pulling it out of the box and wiping the oil off of it. Um, yeah, it's a Lee Nielsen model, so obviously doesn't need much in a way of tune up, but just kind of getting to know the different blades, the different angles, playing with some, um, you know, really highly figured material and seeing how that uh, higher bevel angle is going to help me out and had some really, really positive results with it. So, so far so good with the jack plane, very happy with it. And I'm going to continue on with this little experiment of mine to see if I could ignore the rest of my bench planes and, and try to make that jack plane truly a jack of all trades in my shop. Yeah, we'll see if it works see why out. Not. Sounds cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, how you doing over there, Matt? I think my left boob is bigger than my right. Ah, oh, that's good to know. <laughs> good to know, Matt. Thanks. All right. Uh, moving into around the web, we've got one here, and, and I think Matt put these in there, but I'll 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 read them for him. <laughs> uh, he says that Dan sent in a link for all those folks wondering what to do with their hockey sticks. It's a website called hockeystickbuilds.com. And it's dedicated to a bunch of different projects that people have made using hockey sticks. Just this old is, this hockey is just sticks. cool. It I is. just think it's awesome that someone took the time to put this site together. I know, right? And if you look on there, there's actually quite a few cool things. There's furniture, there's like clocks, there's tables, and they leave all of the you know marketing logos and everything on a stick, so it's still very right. clear. Uh, that these are hockey sticks, but what a great way to repurpose a bunch of old, you know, sticks that you're not using. Right. That's awesome. We got to tell Paul Marcel. He he probably has some hockey sticks laying around. Yeah. Get on it, Paul. Some stuff. Well, let's see. I am. Um, this is a article that Bob Lang put on the popular woodworking blog. And I got to say, I, I was starting to wonder where's Bob Lang. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't heard much from him. I know he was building this cool voicey clock, but I hadn't really seen much. And he's kind of like the kind of like the straight man of the yeah. the editorial staff over there, especially now with Chuck Bender over there. He's kind of a you know always cracking jokes. And um, he writes. Bob wrote this article called a hand tool, like a perfect hand tool project or something like that. And it's hilarious. Yeah. It's it is like a shot across the bow for the hand tool nuts like myself who get so caught up in some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like the machinist turned woodworker type yeah. folk. It's just really funny. There's, there's some great uh, language in the, in the post itself where he, I don't even remember exactly what he's building, but it's like, it's like this stupid little project and it's like a, a novel it's, that he's written. It's like and all um, the steps he went through. It's a jig for sharpening a pencil. 
Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> right it's with just, a block plane. I just love it. And I, I don't think it would have been as funny if somebody like Chris Schwartz or Megan had written it. The fact that Bob Lang wrote it, just it's icing on the cake. A little unexpected, so. uh, but that, that, like you said, that just adds to the humor behind it. It's really Oh, absolutely. Good. It's good great. It's, it's Nick Offerman style dry <laughs> humor, in other words. So well done, Bob. I think it's great. Yeah, very cool. Uh, next one we have here, uh, Dave from the UK sent a link to a very short and funny video. It's a Canadian guy who's absolutely crazy. He mounts a chainsaw into a table. So think of like a small table saw, uh, tabletop, and mounting the chainsaw vertically in it so that the saw is sticking up and uh, uses it to cut dovetails. And he, there's, I guess this is Dave pointing out that there's a point in there that's his favorite where <laughs> there's just a massive amount of tear out on the back of this piece. And the guy just turns it over and he's like, uh, there's a little tear out here on the back, but <laughs> you, you don't want to worry about that. Um, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, it's hilarious. If only for the fact that it's really just ridiculously scary Yeah. as he's doing this, like just, he really is making dovetails. Not well, not really, but they are, they sort of look like dovetails. Um, <laughs> but it's just nuts. I'm, I'm watching this thing going, wow, that just scares the crap out of me. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is what the woodworking establishment talks about when they talk about YouTube <laughs> woodworking videos. Is this what it this is? This is who they're talking about. I've always folks. wondered. Like the guy who uh, was starting a table saw with his foot and his kid was sitting in a chair, like directly behind the saw right. or something like that. Yeah. I guess this must be it. If this is what they're looking at. Sure. I, I think the internet is full of uh, crappy <laughs> advice too. <laughs> Although um, I was at a Lee Nielsen hand tool event up in Pennsylvania at Hearn Hardwoods, actually. Mm-hmm. And there was um, – I was at the the SAP phone booth talking to one of the guys there. And right next to them was a booth. And I want to say it was, um, it was one of those uh, like take woodworking to a third world country and like teach mm-hmm. people in third world countries how to build stuff. And that can be like a, a business for them. Sure. Um, so he had a table saw that was one of those circular saws mounted like in a router table type okay. deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he turned it into a table saw and, you know, there was a lot of people looking at it going, yeah, I can see how that work. And that's very cool. You know, packing in a circular saw to Cameroon or whatever is a lot easier and they can't get full blown table saws and it's cheaper and all that. But I noticed the minute he turned it on. Everybody who was excited about it took like seven steps back. <laughs> and I'm standing at the booth next to it, basically directly in the kickback lane. Yeah. And like the, the Sapphim guys kind of picked up their table and stepped back three steps. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's a great idea, but not on your life. Yeah. Am I going to try it? Great in concept. Now, I've, I've heard of a lot of people who do that, who either can't afford or don't just, you know, can't justify buying a table saw and they'll take that right. circular saw, screw it to a piece of plywood and put it on some saw horses and call that a table saw. Sure. That's scary. I mean, yeah, why not? In theory, it sounds great. But. Well, I think even uh, Festool, their um, their table system, the CMS table, at least in Europe, can mount the saw in there, work like a table saw. But from what yeah. I understand, I, I won't pretend to know the full history on this, but from what I understood, they could not get uh, approval to to have that in the States. They, we just wouldn't let it fly. Uh, and it's a little bit more it just seems like something that should be in like a battle bots show (laughs) (laughs) right that's true Uh, someone should do that somebody work on it be an expensive experiment but go for it yeah all right moving on to the poll of the week this poll is a little bit more sort of out there a little more abstract it's asking the question is woodworking art and uh let, let me get the replies here i forgot to write them down uh yes no 
both. And Neither. there was a third one, like it's a rock star <laughs> type. Yeah, it's a, it's a ninja something or other. Yeah. Okay, so 73% said that it's both. Uh, 10% said it's a craft. Uh, only 3% said that it's an art. And it's a uh, 12%, 13% said it's a ninja-like skill to be mastered. So, uh, yeah, this one's a little Yeah, more... I, I got to take issue with Tom on this one because he <laughs> put in that fence sitter, both one. I was like, come on. Yeah. You got to divide people. Come on, Tom. Hey, he's he's got to make a poll every week. They can't all be, you know, they can't all be perfect gems. So, <laughs> but then this I one's a little, this... this is so subjective. Obviously, some some woodworking is craft purely and some of it is art. And, uh, you know, um, it just kind of depends on your perspective. And, and frankly, I'm not a big fan of the usage of the word art in the first place. I think. Yeah, I was going to say, I was firmly in the craft camp because personally, my woodworking, it's not art. <laughs> yeah, it just depends on who you are and what you're building. Um, yeah, art is just something that's not a word that I, I throw around lightly. It's not something I would ever call my own material, but I have other, have had people say that about me and it's like, or about stuff that I've made. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's, there's <laughs> nothing artistic about this. This is, come this on is, now. What are you looking at? I, this is borrowed concepts mushed together into this thing that I, you know, uh, turned into something that makes sense to me. I don't, I don't know that it qualifies as art, but again, that's the point. It's subjective. Uh, right. If it's art to the person who looks at it, who am I to say that it isn't? Yeah, true. I yeah. mean, in, in my mind, there's a functionality issue. Yeah. And and again, this is one of those totally, there's no right or wrong answer to this. But in my mind, art is something that doesn't serve another function. You know, it's it's David Marks creates art. No question, because he hangs the stuff on the wall. You know, now does that mean his, uh, you know, one of the tables he made isn't art? I don't know. But to me, that table can, you can put a pizza on it and you can eat at it. So... <laughs> It's a See, craft. Well, and that's the thing. And I think some people, I, the people who I respect the most are the David Marks of the world who can not only make something that is a functional item, but something that is undeniably artistic at the same time. Um, right. Being able to meet both of those, I think, is, is, a, is a real challenge. Now, someone who just throws a bunch of crap on the wall and says it's art, okay, that, how do you argue with that? Because I don't, I don't have enough evidence to say that it isn't art, <laughs> but I don't have to necessarily respect it as anything better than crap thrown on a wall, you know? So, but something like, you know, a Maloof style chair or, or any of David Mark's projects or any of the, the amazing woodworkers out there who just are turning, um, you know, square pieces of wood into amazing, amazing pieces of, uh, of woodworking art, you know I mean? It's like, yeah. there are some, well, it's some funny that things. you say they're turning it into it too. Cause I think turners, turners yeah. are a lot of those guys that really make art. Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it, which is why I don't turn much. Um, all right. So we don't have any, uh, well, we may have had kickback, but our kickback populator, the guy who puts it in here, he's on vacation. Uh, let's see. We did have a voicemail just a quick note about voicemails. Um, again, I've mentioned this in the past. If it's like a three minute voicemail, that's just too long. It's very hard for us to play that on the show. So try to keep your uh, voicemails as concise as possible. Uh, and this way we'll be able to play them on the show. (laughs) Sorry about that. My apologies, but we we will try to answer the question, but we'll just probably email you. Yeah. yeah. Or we'll leave you a three-minute voicemail. <laughs> That's true. We'll call you back. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into our email segment. I've got one here from Dustin. He says, I think I'm a I'm varnished dumb or something. That's That sounds like a great blog. <laughs> right there with you, buddy. Right <laughs> Var- with varnished you. dumb. I have an issue with Sherwin-Williams Wood Classics Gloss Fast Dry Varnish. I'm trying to apply by putting a good amount of varnish on and wiping it off as described in this article. We'll talk about that article in a minute. 
The problem is that the varnish is drying too fast. By the time I start smoothing it out, it's very sticky and my towel just drags across the finish, leaving horrible streaks. The wood is aged cherry that's been treated with de-wax shellac, and he says slash MS. I'm hoping he's not saying mineral spirits, but I don't know mm. what MS is. As a sealer and then regular stain, don't flame me. I recommended uh, to leave this natural, but the recipient insisted on the color. If I sand it smooth, then keep adding layers, will it smooth out? I've only done the first set of three applications. I can only think of three things it can be. The wood is sucking it up as fast as I put it on, that there's too much mineral spirits or whatever dryer might be in it, or I suck and I just need to stick to spraying lacquer. Uh, it would obviously be a different issue. It could obviously be a different issue. I just can't think of it. Any help would be appreciated. Okay, Dustin. Uh, stick to lacquer. No, just kidding. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> that doesn't dry fast enough for you? Come on, dude. Yeah. Well, he bought fast dry varnish. <laughs> and he's complaining about it drying. That seems ironic. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe don't buy that next time. Yeah, you know, ultimately they all, like, you know, the standard polyurethane, Minwax poly, is referred to as fast dry poly. I don't really think there's anything in it that's terribly, um, you know, helping the whole thing. It's just, it's drying as fast as most other polys will dry. Um, anyway, point is, when you thin this stuff out, uh, you do have to be careful about how you apply it. And what this article recommends is more or less spreading it in like circular motions over the entire surface and then coming back quickly and wiping it with the grain. Nothing wrong with that application method in most cases that is going to work for you. The problem is if you have a very large surface, and that's one thing that Dustin didn't tell us, but I would assume he's not working on a very small tabletop here. It sounds like he might be working on something fairly uh, fairly large. And if that's the case, you don't have the opportunity to cover the entire surface and then go back and wipe with the grain. So what I would do is a bit of a modification of that, and this is the method that I, I show in my Simple Varnish Finish video, is to, um, oddly enough, it's kind of the opposite of what this article says. The article says to do that sort of circular wiping and not to treat your applicator pad like a brush. But I do think in some cases on larger surfaces, you can and should treat your applicator like a brush, only you're not going over the surface multiple times. You're just kind of, at most, two strokes per pass, you know what I mean, before you move on to to the next section, and you're just going to apply a very light coat, just making sure that the surface is wet, uh, overlap your strokes halfway each time, and work your way across, and do not go back to those earlier strokes, uh, because you will get that streaking, sticky, nasty mess, so on a bigger surface, you've got no choice but to, to do a, a row, and then go to the next row, and the next row, and the next row, and work your way across applying the finish that way. Um, so that's probably what I would recommend you do for the rest of the coats. Now, the good thing is with wiping varnish, it's usually so thin that if there is some sort of flaw in an early coat that a lot of times after subsequent coats, you can cover it up a little bit, even though in most cases, poly is like sheets of um, saran wrap. Uh, each right. layer is its own independent thing and they don't melt together, you know, so, um, but it's so thin that a lot of times you can fudge it. You You can actually cover it up. So just a couple other things that I noticed in what he said, I, I'm a little bit concerned about that mineral spirits. You really shouldn't be, if you are putting mineral spirits in your shellac, that's not a great idea. Um, he's also shellacking and then applying regular stain. That may or may not be a problem. Um, if the shellac is too thick and he seals up that surface, it's not going to be happy about stain on top of it. Number one, it won't accept much color. And number two, the stain may not really ever cure properly, thus creating more problems for your top coat, which is going to come after the fact. 
Right. Um, so, so I would say, yeah, I think it probably is fixable at this point, but I would lightly sand the surface, you know, be very careful that you don't sand too hard because you will go into that stain layer. Um, and then just as long as the surface is truly dry, uh, continue just using a slightly modified method, go with strokes instead of, uh, that sort of circular motion. Um, and you'll probably have better results. I would think. I, I witnessed, uh, Don Williams do a a demonstration at a SAPA meeting one time mm-hmm. using shellac and he does something he still uses a brush to put it on but he breaks the entire table into like quadrants or octants or whatever depending uh, no on kidding. the size okay he'll break it into into these different sections he'll brush on then wipe that section and then go and brush the uh, the next section wipe it and kind of keep working around um you know how you'll uh, put oil on the surface and it'll absorb and keep absorbing and absorbing until it finally starts, I guess, sweating. It doesn't absorb anymore. Mm -hmm. And he'll just work those little quadrants kind of round robin until when he comes back to the first quadrant, it's still wet. Um, In other words, it's not soaking in as well anymore. But what what that ends up doing is it kind of breaks it into much smaller areas. Sure. And you're able to, you know, not have that that problem because I know especially if you really really thin out shellac it'll dry pretty dang fast yeah and you run into the same thing where your your rag kind of drags over the surface and that just looks terrible well that's tricky I mean what you're describing there going in the quadrants that uh, that takes some practice to be able to get that without having any sort of like witness lines from the right. start and stop points um, yeah. so that's I mean for the beginner I wouldn't recommend that unless you're working with a small enough surface that everything is truly still wet by the time you get back around. Um, otherwise, yeah, that could, that could be problematic, but I'd be interested in seeing a little bit more on that. Um, but I think, I think he needs to go with his gut and just go back to lacquer. There you go. At this point, just go with lacquer. Now, I mean, the thing is the wiping varnishes, they are one of the easiest finishes to apply. Um, if, if there's a finish that's going to be beginner friendly, that's it. Uh, and if he's got lacquer down, then this is just, it's just a different way of thinking. And I think he's got to get used to it. And I think that article put him on a mindset that he has to do it this one way. And I think if he just departs from that a little bit, he'll have a much easier time with it. Uh, all right, you're up, dude. Let's see. Got a question from Rick. He says, it seems almost all furniture uses three-quarter material for cabinets, etc. Example, a table will generally use three-quarter for the top, apron, stretchers, I'm working on a wall hanging cabinet that's 30 inches wide, 45 inches high, and 12 inches deep. The bottom will be four drawers, the upper shelves with doors. I'm wanting sleek lines because the wood is spalted sycamore. Can the wood be half inch or five-eighths of an inch? And if not, why not? Hmm. I think this is a good question. In fact, I think um, Mark or Matt, somebody put this in the show notes under what we call our big picture questions. Yeah. (laughs) Because... Thank you, Matt. <laughs> and um, it is, it's one of those things where we have kind of become slaves to what is available. Yeah. Um, and in working for a professional lumber company with the millwork, when we run surface material, even if we're just, you know, creating an S2S product or if we're actually milling like a molding or something, the, the idea is, is you can stick a rough board through a planer and in one pass, cause they crank it down. These are not your bench top planer that you got to sneak up and not do more than a 16th of an inch per pass. They have just discovered that if you take off that quarter of an inch, you get a good surface. 
you know, or actually an eighth of an inch on both sides. Mm -hmm. You are sure to get a good surface. You don't have any skip where there's still rough saw material left. And that ended up at three quarters of an inch. Well, if you go back in, in time and you look at antiques, you'll see that, you know, the guys when they didn't have planers and they were just using hand planes, the thicknesses are all over the place. And seven eighths of an inch is more common because it's easier to take off an eighth of an inch total right. than a quarter of an inch when you're using a hand plane. So um, my furniture today is is that way. It's it's heavier because I don't want to <laughs> have to take off more than I want to. Sure. Um, the truth of the matter is, I mean, it's going to vary from species to species as far as the actual strength of that particular species. But half inch to five eighths should be just fine. And in fact, I think that's a good way that you can make it your own, you know, make it different from the stuff that's commercially available out there. Right. Um, that, you know, just because a lumber yard or a place like Home Depot only sells three quarters of an inch, that doesn't mean that you have to. If you can start with rough lumber, then embrace it and build, build it one and an eighth inch thick. Well, maybe not. <laughs> it's not very sleek. Then, yeah. But losing the yeah. sleekness for sure. Yeah, and I think I think that's that's like that next step. You kind of get into woodworking, and you're 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 stuck with just using home center material, or maybe you've got a woodcraft or something local that's selling S four S material. And then once you finally get that capability, whether by hand or power, to mill your own lumber, then it's like, all right, I'm gonna do this do this my way. Yeah, make yeah. them five eighths of an inch. That that was a game changer for me when I started to be able to mill my own stuff down and. I would I found myself initially going down to three quarters of an inch because that's what the plan called for or that's just what I thought I should do, and I'm like, why am I wasting this extra sixteenth inch of wood? Like if there right. if it was just the sixteenth proud, um, and I quickly learned, you know what? Not everything has to be exactly three quarters. Some tabletops look better with a little bit more material. Um, some may look better as he's indicating here. Some may look better with less. So so these yeah don't feel definitely don't feel limited by those numbers. If you think the design calls for it and the wood can support, like the structure will be able to support it, absolutely. Go for some off number, whatever looks good, thicker, thinner. Just give it a shot. Uh, I think that's the thing. When, when you look around, we are fairly uh, limited based on the material that's available. But yeah. as, as woodworkers, we make the choice on what that final thickness is. And I think a really good example of kind of using those different thicknesses is the green and green style. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at all the different levels in green and green um, furniture. And what, and, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to Mark's site and look at his Thorson House video. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great example in there where I think Daryl's like pointing at like the top of a built-in or something. And it's like every single, the, the rails are proud of the styles the molding's proud of the the rails. The panel, is, of course, is is inset from everything, and it's got these different shadow lines, and it just looks awesome. Yeah. Um. And and you can't do that easily if you're using all the same thickness material. Right. And you know when you, <clears throat> I think you bring up a good point, Mark, with the you know that extra sixteenth. When you do mill your own lumber, you realize just how little you actually have to take off right. to get it flat. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh shoot, now what do I do? <laughs> do I just waste this or figure out how make, to in incorporate yeah, it? It's terrible. You just make it more is. sawdust. Yeah. All right. We got another finishing question here, and I figured we there. it's in a similar camp as the other one, so we'll knock those out on the same show. This one is from Michael. He says, I have uh, much experience using Minwax products, getting great results with a brush-on and wipe-on poly. I know you advocate uh, general finishes products, in particular Armor Seal. 
If you can describe it in words, what's the advantage to the more expensive and harder to get products? I'm currently building some live edge cherry furniture for a client, and I was planning on toning it with linseed oil, then shellac sealer, then one to two coats of Minwax Poly. I've had a great success with this in the past, so I guess I'm curious why I would want to step up to a more expensive product. Uh, thanks for your input. So that's a very interesting question. Now, I'll tell you yeah. straight off, it's a subjective call. And my, my best bit of advice is to pick up a can, bite the bullet, or find someone who will buy it from you if you don't like it. Uh, pick it up and try it. And, and the reason why I tend to go to Armor Seal is when I use it, I find, to my eye at least, it looks less like a, a polyurethane varnish and starts to look a little bit more like a lacquer. Uh, to me. And I don't know if I, that's just in my head. It very well may be. I'm, I'm like perfectly willing to admit that it's just my imagination. But it seems like when I go for like, I don't know, maybe a four to five coat uh, finish on any particular uh, piece of furniture, that it just doesn't look as plasticky. It tends to look a little bit more like lacquer. And to me, that's a more attractive finish. Uh, now that said, there was a test done by Fine Woodworking years ago that is available, unfortunately, only to members. So I'm not going to put the link up to that. But if you are a member um, at Fine Woodworking's website, you could look that up. They did a test on just about every wiping formula varnish on the market. And it was, you know, more or less blind. But they look at things like color. They look at, um, you know, durability. Uh, they look Anything you could possibly be concerned about that they could sort of semi-quasi-scientifically evaluate. And the Minwax wiping varnish was on top. Uh, not only as like the cheapest stuff available, but gave the best results. So interesting. Yeah. So take that for what it is. So I don't think twice. Um, although I tend to use Armor Seal a lot, I have a good relationship with the company. I just like those people. Um, I, I'll tell you, sometimes in woodworking, you make friends and you use products. If you happen to have a friend that makes a product, you use it. So I used it in the beginning because I thought it was the better product. I still use it this day. Uh, to this day, but a lot of that is just a continuation of my relationship with them, and I don't necessarily so much um, you know look for alternatives that often. But in a pinch, if I need to go to Home Depot and grab some finish, I have no problems grabbing a can of Minwax and using that uh, either their wipe-on formula or just the standard uh, fast-dry poly. So, so if you think the Minwax looks great and you don't see the difference in the armor seal, then don't even bother spending the money because yeah. obviously... There is no difference for you, and I, I, I think you should uh, stand behind your work. I think that's good. Go with yeah. the minwax. You know, I always wonder if there's like extra refining that's going on with some of the more expensive products. But at the same time, you have to look at it and go with like modern manufacturing practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how unrefined is the unrefined stuff? Yeah. You know, it seems to me it's still probably pretty good stuff. Well, and the so. thing is that you know your main components in these finishes, you know the one of them is a resin and you can have different types of resin, different quantities. Uh, there can be variations in the proprietary blend of resins that give the finished product a particular look. And maybe that's what, I, what I'm seeing, or at least what I think I'm seeing. So my hope would be that the reason Armor Seal costs more is because of that proprietary blend that just looks better on wood. It, right. That may or may not be true, but that's, that's at least my justification for it. And I don't think it's in your imagination. I, I know what you're talking about with that that look when you get, you know, five and six coats of the stuff built up yeah. to me, it, it does look less plasticky, right? That's when it's going to make a real difference. Once you're at that, you know, four to five coat level, you're really starting to build. If that's right. got that plasticky look, that's when you're going to see it, uh, unfortunately. So, yep. 
Well, let's see. We've got uh, another question from Jason. As he puts it, Jason from Smelly Gilroy, California. Oh, yeah, that's right. The garlic <laughs> capital of the world. Very nice. <laughs> uh, let's see. I am restoring two Stanley Bailey planes, a number 5C and a number 8, and I need some help. The total in the number 5 is split in two pieces horizontally. I'm going to try gluing it, but if that fails, where can I get a new tote? What was the uh, what was the original tote finish or a good substitute? Also, uh, well, actually, let's tackle that first before we move on because he's talking about the irons after that. Um, I've I've actually got a couple of vintage planes that have been glued, and they're fine. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where modern glues tend to be stronger than the wood itself. Yeah. So that is a you know it's the path of least resistance there. Um, as far as where can you find a new tote, I'm going to make you turn in your woodworker card. The fact that you asked that <laughs> it's question. in your wood pile in the corner, <laughs> go make one. <laughs> um, and you know, certainly I'm probably the last person to criticize cause I'm not a big fan of actually making tools a lot of times. Um, so there are people out there that make, um, new handles. I know there's a lot of people that have a problem with the shape of, Veritas handles. I think it, it it's too straight up and down, I think, is the major complaint. I personally like them. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that there are people that remake handles to be more like the traditional Stanley style. Um, I can do a quick search probably and drop it in the show notes. I remember there's somebody that um, – somebody popular woodworking used – and they really, really like the guy. So there are people out there that do it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, it might be just a f- good project. You know, a good skill building project because you're essentially cutting out a shape and rounding it. And that way you can actually round it to fit your hand. And it'll be just that much more comfortable for you. So to me, it's an opportunity to try to build build it even better by building yourself. Sure. Um, he goes on to, oh, and, and the original finish, like way back when, was uh, more than likely just a boiled linseed oil um, rubbed on. Um, as we moved into the... Uh, closer to the World War II and post-World War II, it was lacquer. So um, go for it. Use shellac. <laughs> Use boiled linseed oil. Uh, I don't think it's really going to make a difference. Um, go with what looks good. Uh, let's see. Then he says, I don't think the iron in the number five is original. It's stamped with lakeside. Both irons, five and the eight, are in need of a replacement. Is there quality modern iron that will fit without opening the mouth or should I open the mouth? Um, what product do you guys use to raw coat or to coat the raw iron portions to prevent rust? Uh, well, last part's easiest. I um, I use uh, Renaissance wax, um, and I don't use it very much. Maybe twice a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the time, it's you know I've got the the rag that at one point I'd put camellia oil on, and now the rag's just kind of charged, and I just wipe the plane down. But I don't even do that very much. Um, I use my planes a lot. And that actually helps keep them pretty good, right. <laughs> the oils from my hands and things. You will develop a little bit of patina, but to me, that's that's more of a badge of honor. This is a well-used tool more than anything. Right. But um, So I, I do say I use Renaissance wax, but um, the stuff's expensive. It's very expensive, but it's also a very, very high-quality, silicone-free wax. So it's one of those things where if you go that route, don't put it on like every week. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the same little jar of renaissance wax for six years i was just gonna say it is expensive but thankfully it does last a very long time i'm still on the same can that i bought uh, probably about six years ago too 
Yeah, and I mean, what it, what is it really like? Fifteen dollars? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, so I mean, it's not like you're spending a hundred dollars on it. But you know, if you were to wipe down, wax your plane like after every shop session, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to go through it really fast. So much. that that's the easier one. Um, as far as a modern replacement iron, you cannot beat Hawk tools. Go to Ron Hawk, and he will get you a beautiful, beautiful iron. It will be thicker. So there's every possibility you may have to open the mouth a little bit, but, um, it'd be worth it, right? I mean, well, but yeah, I mean, he does, he does go on to say at the end of this, that, um, the, the number five has a slightly rarer, 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 rarer (laughs) frog. Um, it's the frog itself dates it between 1888 and 1903. So there is something there that's, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting, but you should still be able to move the frog backwards and forwards. You should be able to retract the frog, and a hawk blade should fit without having to open up the mouth too much. Mm, cool. Now, this is a number five we're talking about, so the jack plane um, can be used to do like a rough cut, so you do want a wider mouth. But I, I think you'll be surprised once you get a hawk iron and you kind of adjust the frog, you may not have to do much to the mouth. Um, before you open the mouth with a file, I don't see that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not a, a collector that's going to cringe and say, you're ruining the original plane. I'd be the last person to say that. But you want to make sure that you're not going to want a tighter mouth sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the old adage? You can take wood off, but you can't put it back on. <laughs> right. Um, you know, the number five and Mark, you're a perfect example. The number five is, is used in a lot of situations. It can oh, yeah. be used as a smoothing plane. It can be used as, you know, a four plane. So if you set it up that you're going to take huge thick shavings like a four plane, that's great, but you're never going to be able to get that tight mouth back. Um, but if you can get that by moving the frog, then you, you know that you can always adjust it to however you want it. So True. get the blade first to make your decision from there. There you go. Cool. All right. Great advice. We have one more that I threw on last minute, and this one deals with sawdust. Brian asked, uh, he says, I'm one of those crazy people that thought it would be a good idea to quit my day job in favor of building furniture for a living. That is crazy. That's ridiculous. That's nuts. So now I've gone from a few hours a month in a shop to eight to 10 hours a day. In doing uh, in doing so, I my sawdust output has greatly increased, filling several trash cans a week. Trying to keep my overhead costs low, uh, I don't want to put it at the curb and pay the extra can charges for the garbage collection. I've started composting it, but the compost pile doesn't rot <laughs> fast enough. <laughs> this guy's buried in sawdust. Uh, I've been using it as mulch in between the rows of uh, vegetable garden, but that's getting overly full. Uh, I then started using it as mulch into flower beds, but my wife quickly put an end to that. So, do you have any suggestions on cheap and environmentally friendly solutions for getting rid of sawdust? Interesting question. I actually don't know because I don't produce at that level. I produce enough where I kind of, I anger Nicole once in a while because I'll fill the garbage can for that week with (laughs) sawdust and we can't put our garbage in it, but that's only, you know, maybe once a month that I'll do that. Uh, So I went to Facebook and I asked if anyone had any suggestions and things that they did. Now I haven't really gone through this, but I'll just read a few that, uh, that stick out as possible options. Uh, Let's see. Okay. The the egg carton one. That one's good. Yeah. If you, if you see any, just call them out. Um, a lumber mill, this is by Dan Johns. He says a lumber mill near me refused to surface some walnut stock that I was buying. I asked why. And they explained that they sell their chips and sawdust to a company that uses the material as underlayment floor covering in their livestock stables. 
but that walnut dust apparently harms horses' hooves. Uh, and that's also, I heard, that if you're doing anything with walnut and you are putting it in your gardens, that's something you should avoid too. Um, right. And it is bad for horses. So ultimately, though, if you can find someone who might need it, some other company that's doing something with it, that might be a good place to put it. And, and if I can chime in there, that is, we don't do that at the lumberyard anymore mm-hmm. because since we rejiggered our uh, our boilers for the kilns, um, our sawdust goes back in and powers our kilns. Mm-hmm. Um, all the sawdust gets essentially atomized and in like a combustion chamber, and that's what heats the the boilers for the steam kilns. So you could. You could make your own steam kiln if you want. There you go. But when, before we did that um, and we were producing, you know, basically a tractor trailer full of dust, uh, a couple of those a week is about what we do. So put it in perspective. It could be worse. <laughs> you could <laughs> yeah. be making more. We would sell it to farmers um, and they would use it for their livestock bins. But we were, when we did that, it was always a thing where walnut was kept in a separate um we would read essentially the the dust collection was plumbed so that we could divert it to a separate area. Mm-hmm. And we just got into the habit of doing that, but it's actually a very good thing to do. Reach out to a local farmer. Um, they bought it from us. So you might show up and say, Hey, I'm going to just give it to you and you probably will have a taker. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, a couple more suggestions. Anthony Marzella says, if it's a normal smoking wood like oak or hickory, I clean out my dust collector and save the dust um, And as long as I know it's not treated and I use it in my smoker. Uh, it's dense and it smolders nicely. And this is another one. This to me says barbecue all over it too. Uh, Andrew Arntz says, melt up some beeswax or paraffin, get an old cupcake tray, mix in the shavings, $2 fire starter, and use the paper, ca- uh, paper cup cake inserts. That's an awesome idea. I know when I start coals, I had to buy a, um, I didn't know oh, I wanted to buy natural ones. So I do have these wax wood shaving. They almost look like they're a sort of a particle board material. Um, these little discs that you put into the coals to start the fire. And uh, that'd be great to be able to make your own, just mixing in wax. You know where everything came from. It's totally natural. How, how it's smart. Great idea. How, how much wax did he say? He didn't say quantity, but basically oh. like a cupcake tray. I just wonder how much. I mean, I guess you kind of get the feel when you start mixing it. Oh, well, like the you want. yeah, what the ratio is. <laughs> right. I was gonna say if you have to go out and now you you've got like a an extra supply of wax in the, <laughs> yeah. in the pantry there. I wouldn't uh, think you would need that much as long as it's just enough to touch all of the wood fibers and bring right. it into this you know this uh, globule. It's gonna you know solidify and and should be fine. That'd be cool. Very cool idea. So yeah, if you uh, if you know where my Facebook page is, facebook.com slash the wood whisper, one of the most recent questions is this question, and there are quite a few responses already. So um, if you're interested in, in some other suggestions for that, go there and read it. That's pretty yes. cool. Very nice. What he said. Thank you, community. All right. Uh, let's see. We have uh, iTunes reviews. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, you can do that. Just go to the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and then you could tell us how much you hate this show when Matt's not here. Yes, please do. I'm going to do that myself. Uh, we'd like to thank William David, who had this to say, fun, informative, and a really good way to kill time on a 90-minute commute. <laughs> that, that was our goal. Yeah, Glad to help. Glad to help. <laughs> Just uh, remember that today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com and ArborTech at blog.arbortechusa.com. Remember, they're having that contest that you might want to take a part in. Very cool stuff. I think, what, $1,000 in tools you could win? It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. 
All right. And also, if you want to support our show, you can do so at woodtalkshow.com. Look in the left-hand column, and we've got a couple of links there for recurring donations. Uh, for just a couple bucks a month, you can help support us, and you can keep Matt in those sexy, stretchy pants uh, that he likes to wear. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. So, Shannon, you want to have the privilege right. of doing it? Matt's not here, so it's my job. Oh, so yeah. if you have comments, questions, or suggestions on what you want us to talk about, you have several ways you can contact us. You can leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online, or you can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 and leave us a four-minute voicemail if you like. <laughs> or you can, of course, email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or leave us a comment on the Wood Talk Facebook page. So I just got to say, listeners in Florida... Matt Vanderlist is in you right now. So what? keep an eye out for the chortle. Keep an eye out for the chortle. Keep an ear open. Keep an ear open for the chortle. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You could be you could be standing in front of your house in Florida right now and you could hear yeah. <laughs> What was that? Quick. <laughs> was I hear a chortle in the, to I the hear, chortle van. <laughs> there's a chortle in the wild. Uh, yeah, we miss you, Matt. Um, we can't wait to have you back next week. And yeah, hey, thanks everybody for listening. If you're checking us out on YouTube, we appreciate that. That's always fun. And I'm going to leave you with a couple of uh, a couple more gems here from Matt. You ready? Let's do this. Ready? Freaking frackers! Oh, you are like right now. Two dollars? Mm, can you get it for a dollar? <laughs> I love that guy. He's the <laughs> that best. <last> one's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great week, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.